Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this spooky episode of Marlin's Corner, Spooktober in July. This episode, we're going to talk about the first two of Fear Street of the Fear Street trilogy that is on Netflix currently. At this time, on Friday, when this comes out, you will most likely be gearing up and preparing yourself for the final movie of this trilogy since uh, on the 16th is when they're dropping the final part three of the Fear Street trilogy. If you are not planning on watching that final three, my hope right now is to convince you to do so. Out the gate, folks, uh, I'm giving this this movie, this, this trilogy, d- definitely a high recommendation. It's fun. It really uh, brings you back to uh, just what folks enjoyed about slasher films. If you are a big fan of films like Scream, Jeepers Creepers, uh, Cabin Fever, any kind of those slasher films, this is definitely up there and up your alley. So definitely check this out. Give it a shot. It is quite awesome and quite surprising. And what's even more surprising is just where this uh, franchise comes from, and it comes straight from the mind of R.L. Stein, which honestly is the most fascinating part about this, because when I think of a Goosebump book or an R.L. Stein book, I don't really think of, you know, slasher. I think more of thriller, uh, high anxiety, because again, most of his work was geared towards kids, but uh, this film takes his adaptation and takes it to the next level. Um, if you weren't aware, Fear Street is a teenage horror fiction series uh, that was out in like 1989. Uh, In 1995, the series uh, definitely um, went from Fear Street to Ghost of Fear Street. And there are about 51 books in the Fear Street Chronicles. And there's multiple in the Ghost of Fear Street. This thing had also had multiple spinoffs and uh, singular character backstories. So the Fear Street, if you go online and look up list of Fear Street books, you will have uh, just a litany to choose from, from just a Fear Street novel, Return to Fear Street, Fear Street Super Chiller, Fear Street Cheerleaders, the Fear Street Saga, 99 Fear Street, The House of Evil, Fear Street, The Catalina Chronicles, Fear Street, Fear Park, Ghosts of Fear Street, Fear Street Sagas, Fear Street Seniors, Fear Street Nights. There is just a ton of Fear Street content, and Netflix, rightfully so, scooped up a really awesome franchise. And again, we've discussed it before that Netflix is definitely doing kind of a buckshot when it comes to putting your content on their website. They're grabbing anything and everything, but some of those times, those shots hit the mark, and this is definitely one of those things. Now, it's important to also talk about that Netflix bought the trilogy from Disney. Uh, if you know anything about R.L. Stein, you know that there was a few kids' movies that were about some of the uh, content he wrote about, and it was very kid-friendly, kid-focused. Um, when Chermer Entertainment had originally planned and prepared to release this in theaters, um, of course, this was like, you know, before we, uh, this was all like in, you know, 2020, you know, early 2019, uh, they, of course, were planning to release these in theaters, and of course, According to R.L. Stein, they had planned 
plan to do this in three separate months. A film in June 2020 and a film in July 2020 and film in August 2020. Um, but of course, with COVID, a lot of that changed. And it's important to know that when I say a lot of that changed, I meant that this was just scripts that they had planned out. They hadn't hired anyone yet. They just had scripts and they just had an idea of how they plan to prepare to put this movie in theaters. Of course, when COVID hit, that changes a lot of things up. And here comes Netflix signing on a um, first look non-exclusive deal with uh, the Truman Entertainment. So a part of that deal was Fear Street, which gives us this three-part series, which they plan to do instead of months in weeks. So we got three weeks. Every new week gave us a brand new um, movie. And this Friday concludes that three-week saga. So that's what you're getting into with Fear Street. Now, the directors. Now, the the director of all three is uh, Leah Janik, uh, and she comes with a ton of just thriller, uh, horror experience. She was um, a part of the Scream, the TV series. So she, of course, comes with that experience, and she also did Panic. So she, she comes with experience with horror movies, scary movies, and you can definitely see that with her at the head, this these three films definitely... Uh, are scary and frightening. Uh, the writers for this one are Phil Grazindi, who has, who in a company with Leah Janik, just kind of paint this great picture. This is, of course, for uh, the first movie, which is Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Uh, and starring in this are... Um, Kiana Madeira as Dina, Benjamin Flores Jr. as Josh, Julia Raywald as Kate, Olivia Scott Welsh as Sam, and Jillian Jacobs from Community as C. Berman. Now, this crew, this cast, very young, but super awesome. It really just made me like think about uh, when I was a kid watching horror flicks and thinking about, oh, all of these high school kids look really, really old. Uh, and realizing that in Scream, a few of them were in their mid to late 20s, even 30s. But uh, this Netflix adaptation just has these kids who are in their early 20s, so they definitely look a little young. So they definitely fit this teenage lifestyle. But man, do they look young in these scenes. And these scenes are pretty graphic. Um, a description of the film is, you know, a circle of friends accidentally encounters the, uh, the the evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to Shadyside. And again, this story is just wild. Uh, I came into this fully blind. I saw how I saw it was an R rating, but I definitely also assumed, oh, this is Netflix. These are high school kids. This is giving me Stranger Things vibes. I might hit a TV 14. I, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't even take that rated R rating to heart fully too much. Um, but hey, I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And the film Out the Gate gives you just what you're expected to get into. It gives you this kind of horror scene one-on-one homage of a young lady who's working late. She answers the phone and, like, no one's responding to her, so she hangs up. Here's her, her like, friend gives her a fake jump scare, which, again, is just... It, it, it gave me scream vibes where there's someone on the phone and it's like, stop playing around. Ha ha ha. This is kind of scary, but not too scary. But it goes fully from playful to just straight up intensity. Um, her friend gives her that first scare. And then the next scene, that friend 
is the actual murderer and is absolutely stabbing her. And when I mean stabbing her, I mean they are really showing true violent acts in these films. Uh, I was definitely surprised. I mean, prop to the prosthetics and the editing team because this just looked so brutal. Homegirl got murdered viciously in the mall. And from there, uh, yeah, I was sold. I was like, this was just five minutes in and we're already getting uh, this just a really amazing opening scene. Fast forward into the intro and they give us uh, a really interesting just lore of not only one town, but two towns and their relationship together. The two towns, one town is named Shadyside and the other is named Sunnyvale. Very cute names. It definitely gave me Pawnee versus Eagleton vibes where the Shadysiders are considered, you know, violent and poor. And over on the Sunnyvale side, they have like really great buildings and they have clean water and they're just like the very prestigious town, um, except they take this to a darker, much darker level. We learn that Shadyside uh, has the highest murder rate in the country. Um, they're known as the murder capital of the United States in this world. And we also learn that on the complete opposite, Sunnyvale has virtually no crime at all. Uh, yet these two towns border one another. They're right next door. But one side has constant ridiculously high murder rates and the other side, everything is fine, everything is beautiful, and they live in wealth. So it definitely gives you this kind of um, you know, interesting lore going in of like, how is that possible? Why is that possible? So that was really cool to kind of get that backstory, that back lore. And even diving into the shady side murders, we find out that a lot of these shady side murders come about with these quiet individuals who then just go on a killing spree for no real reason other than that people think they just go crazy one day. Um, there are folks who are superstitious and they kind of bring us into the center of the lore, which is Sarah Fear. Um, and her name, of course, is not spelled like F-E-A-R, but still it's Fear Street, Sarah Fear. Uh, she's a witch who was, um, you know, murdered uh, because witch stuff happens, very crucible-like. You know, she's the witch. She gets accused of, of witchcraft. And according to their lore, she gives her left hand or her hand uh, in a pact to the devil to curse the town. And ever so often, she comes back and possesses someone and they go on a killing spree. Except, you know, this is the movie world where folks aren't that suspicious and they just, they just believe that, yo, our murders happen because people are just bad people, but we move on from there. Um, after our really awesome lore dump. We get introduced to, of course, the main crew, Dina, Josh, Kate, uh, Simon, and Sam. And we learn that, you know, Sam is the love interest to Dina. She used to live in Shadyside until her mom moved her out and took her to Sunnyvale because, you know, this, we gotta have a love, we gotta have a love interest. We gotta have star-crossed lovers. So there's that, you know, plot story there of like, oh, young love. They also happen to be two lesbian characters who are fighting just the, the homophobia that exists in the town. But of course, the primary thing we're kind of dealing with is murder and scare. And uh, that's what we kind of dive into. These teens accidentally discover and find the body of Sarah Fear. And of course, Sam touches the body uh, and she gets marked for uh, possession or just marked for death. And so they spend the duration of the film trying to discover a way to prevent the town's unkillable past murderers from getting to Sam, uh, while also trying to defend themselves from getting murdered in the process. In this film, we are treated to a ton of references to 
other films within the horror genre, particularly the score. Uh, the individual who did the score of this definitely gives you hints of like Nightmare on Elm Street and Mike Myers. There's definitely a lot of playful nods to other films that this movie is giving uh, homage to. And it kind of gives you this really awesome vibe like, oh, this is scary. And I like it. It really sets the tone of that. But again, we get wild murders and these kids look so young and just to watch them get murdered definitely makes makes you feel really uncomfortable. I mean, there was a murder scene in this and of course, just why this is going to be a lot of, um, you know, spoilers going forward, but... There is a particular murder scene that fully had uh, my jaw dropped to the floor with just how graphic it was. Uh, there is a character. Uh, there's a I watched a young lady get her head split open from a meat slicer and the camera does not pan away. You fully watch it happen. And I was absolutely floored with just the level of commitment they were sticking to be like, this is not your typical R.L. Stein movie or R.L. Stein book. We are taking this to that level, and here it is. We're presenting it to you, which was honestly, Bravo movie, you got me. I was not ready for that, and uh, I definitely was like, you know what? I'm watching the next one. If, if it's anything like this one, I'm watching the next one. Um, but, of course, the film wraps up with, of course, you know, the ten it, it wraps up like most franchise horror films do. The film, the characters think they've solved the issue. They think they've 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 found the solution uh, to avoiding uh, being murdered, except, of course, the character Sam uh, now becomes fully possessed and they have to figure out how they're going to deal with that. Uh, but of course, they get a surprise guest from Jillian Jacobs who, surprise, surprise, she was a survivor of the last murder uh, spree in 1978. And that leads us into our next film, Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Now, out the gate, the start of this franchise, this was a damn good horror film. Um, I just loved how it started. I loved how it gave us you know the scream uh, villain who just like clumsily chasing people. He can tr he can get tripped up. He can fall down. He can get hurt. But it's just it just keeps the the anxiety up. It keeps you worried about everyone's next step. And I think it was just a really good dip into what this franchise is going to be taking you on. Which of course brings us to the part two and 1978. We of course have the same director, uh, but now we're bringing on another writer, um, Zach uh, Okowick. Who, who worked on Lights Out, which is another horror film. So it's a very horror film uh, crew who just knows what they're doing. And in this film, like I said earlier, I thought this was giving me Stranger Things vibes. Well, we get a Stranger Things alum. We get Sadie Sink, who plays Ziggy Berman. We get Emily Rudd, who plays Cindy Berman. Ryan Simpkins plays Alice. And McCabe Sly plays Tommy Slater. Now, the whole point of this film is that it's 1978. School's out for the summer, and the activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin, but when another shady cider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes a, a gruesome fight for survival. And yo, they went all out on this one. And like I told you, I was invested from one. I personally, at this time of, of recording, I liked part two uh, so much more than I liked part one. Part two came up with just so many awesome things. Um, it picks up where we left off. Uh, Sam is possessed. Uh, Dina and the gang go to meet Britta. I mean, 
Jillian, who's playing uh, C. Berman. And C. Berman just says, great, I'm now going to tell you how I survived. And I'm going to have you go through this uh, flashback with me. And we get a flashback to her uh, wet, hot American summer, summer camp vibes. Except, um, you know, at Camp Nightwing, it gives you, uh, I want to say, Stephen King-esque over-the-top teen bullies. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know that in every Stephen King movie, the teen bullies are straight up homicidal in a way that is like, there's no way you were not arrested for this or no one told someone that you were doing this. It's like, you're doing a lot. We open up to a scene where they straight up tie a young lady up to a tree and they begin to burn her with a lighter. Uh, you know, just as a bullying tactic. And then, I you know, another team comes up and tells them to stop. But, of course, not a single adult is told or informed about what just happened because it's the 70s and they're just cut through like that. But it was just, it was wild. Like, I, I still don't understand who or where these villains come from or how they're allowed to be this way. But, yo, uh, it's a, it's a, a horror film and we're treated to some real grade-A bullying and they took it to that level. In this game, we, I'm sorry, not in this game, in this story, uh, we are given another trait to another individual who has some close ties to Sarah Fear. We learn that the, uh, not the ghost, but the killer. And the previous film that was singing and it had a razor blade, we learned that this is her mom at the camp. And her mom was giving one of the characters named Ziggy just a backstory about how her daughter was just so kind and so nice and didn't make any sense that she flipped the way she did. But... You know, she just doesn't know what's happened, but she wants to figure it out. She also is aware that Sarah is real and she is fully aware of some other things. We find out later that she finds or is uh, or is, you know, stumbles upon the uh, house of Seraphir and finds a stone tablet that lists all the uh, shady side murderers. And one of the names on that list happens to be uh, Cindy's boyfriend. Uh, now, Cindy in the story is the type A uh, character who's going to go to college, has a good head on her shoulders. She has a boyfriend. Her boyfriend is Tommy, uh, and this mother of the origin of one of the shady side murderers wants to kill Tommy. Now, we're led to believe that she just goes nuts, but based on the story, the reason she wants to kill Tommy is because we know that she knows that he's going to wind up being a murderer. And the last thing she says to him is that by the end of the night, uh, you're going to be dead. And we kind of don't know what's going on, but we do get a chance to really see that, hey, this person is going to be a murderer. And the cool thing is we know that from the first uh, Fear Street that there are just there's a bunch of murderers we happen to see. And we also happen to see that one of these murderers had an axe and was at a camp. So we kind of know, oh, Tommy might end up being this, this, this axe murderer. Now, of course, we get another classic horror movie trope. We get the drugged out friend crew uh, who, of course, just push the envelope when it comes to uh, making sense. And by making sense, I mean it's always the uh, druggy friends who just do the most ridiculous things and get in harm's way on purpose. And we were treated to that here uh, via Alice, who is friends with Cindy. And, of course, when they go and look through uh, the mother of one of the of, of, of the character that 
tried to murder Tommy in the first scene. She, of course, is the camp uh, nurse. They find some notebook paper and notebooks that list where the house or home of Sarah Fear is. And surprise, surprise, y'all, it's near the camp because, of course, it is. So, of course, they go there, and that's where we get um, an amazing set design of the home. We get all the witch layout. We get the books, the small bones, uh, the bugs everywhere. We even get a rune-like circle in the middle. And of course, this is the rune where, where folks say that Sarah, uh, that Sarah Fear um, sacrificed her hand to uh, inflict the curse upon the land. Now, of course, once we're done with all that plot and great um, exposition, we finally get to Axe madness and i thought that we that the first film you know it's 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 at a high bar for violence uh tommy slater as the axe murderer picked up that axe and he absolutely turned it up a notch this movie does not shy away from violence and what was particularly surprising for me is i realized that oh hey you know yes we saw you know some kids get murdered in the last one we also saw a lot of adults at this camp there's mostly children and the movie doesn't care they don't shower from it. they fully have tommy slater with his axe go through and just start murdering children now of course i do think there was an age difference the children we do see get murdered on camera are probably a little bit older there are other kids that do get murdered but they're mostly murdered and under the guise of a door closing or like some shadows playing some tricks um and what, what makes it worse is that he's attacking them when they're playing a game of capture the flag so a lot of these kids don't know what's wrong until he is literally right on top of them and he just boom ends it fantastic film uh they fully go more to the lore they just you know they of course discover that the only way to uh maybe end this curse is to reunite sarah fear's hand with her body and of course they think and believe that her body's at the campsite so cindy and her sister ziggy they run off to find the body and they put the hand you know in this hole but of course they realize that there's no body where they've dug. And now it's just the two of them against literally Sarah McPhear's murder dream team who have all rolled up on these two young ladies. And they, of course, try to uh, escape and run away. And it does not go well. And we are given another <laughs> gruesome death scene where these two actresses uh, are not only knocked to the ground, but they are for five minutes straight stabbed repeatedly on camera before dying. And they, of course, treat us to like some dialogue, but you can just hear the sound of just a thickening stab and thickening axe slash over and over again until it's, you know, until they're dead. And I was, again, surprised by just the level of commitment to violence in this film, but they stuck with it. And these actors, these actresses just did an amazing job of it. And of course, I do think that one of the things I was like, okay, that's a little weird is the character Ziggy is brought back to life via CPR. And I don't think that that's how CPR works. I don't think if you get stabbed a bunch of times in your abdomen, um, someone doing compression on your chest is going to bring you back to life, especially if you've lost a lot of blood. But hey, movies got a movie. So she gets brought back to life and we discover that, of course, that Jillian Jacobs is 
this Ziggy character, but she changed her name at the end of the film to avoid being caught. Uh, and of course, this little uh, knowledge of, of where the body of Seraphir's body is, and also she now knows where the hand is, so Dina, in a very fast scene, goes to find the hand, and then goes to find the body, and she goes to put the hand on the body, and instead of closure, we get part three bait, where it says, hey, see if this works. And the final installment, this Friday, today, the 16th, on Fear Street, 1666. So, y'all, this was an enjoyable uh, two films. It's not perfect, and it definitely falls prey to convenience, but it's still something that will grab your attention, that will entertain you. And with the final episode coming out today, I definitely um, think you should check it out. Hopefully, it, it, it answers some questions that were presented in the film, i.e. how the curse started, and especially what this, you know, what the true origin of the shape side versus Sunnyvale, prosperity uh, versus just being in a, you know, a shithole town. Like, I'd love to know more about that. And like any film, I'm hoping it doesn't have an happy ending. I'm hoping it sticks to the whole like ominous ending where it's kind of like, yeah, things kind of turn to normal, but I'm here for all of it. Um, if I could rate them from like one to 10, I would give the part one a six, part two a seven. Part two is hands on my favorite part. I loved it. I I just have a special place in my heart for summer camp uh, horror. I loved camp stories around like the man with the hook or the ghost man in the forest. Like I just love having that kind of like camp uh, scare happening. And this film was giving me that. So, yes. So, again, if you haven't checked them out, watch them all today. Binge all three. Let me know what you think about them. It's going to be a horror journey and it's going to be fun. I want to know what you think. Hit me up on social media, Marlins Corner on Instagram and Marlins Corner on Facebook. But in the meantime, folks, enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you in the corner next week. Marlins Corner. Bye. This episode of Marlins Corner was produced in Richmond, California. 